you remember back when you had a nice little stroll through your hometown and thought about that special someone you carved your initials on the tree with? And, uh, well, maybe you lost track of each other and, uh, you got, uh, well, you got important in your job. This show's a little bit like that. And, uh, there's some toys involved that, uh, just lit up people's childhood. Well, hello there, and welcome to the Marionette Theater. And, uh, how are you this fine evening, Mr. Smelly? Pretty good, very good, actually. Um, looking forward to tonight's topic, a uh, favorite of mine, um, because I was just the right age for it when it was airing. So, uh, and then, and, and, and yay, spring coming soon. Yes, I, I hear that uh, tomorrow is allegedly the first day of spring. And just this last week, we, we changed our clocks. Uh, spring forward, as they say. You know, I remember, I'm, I'm just old enough to remember the days when the, the local cable company out in the haystack, they used to have a message board on one of their channels. It was like a community bulletin board. And whenever... Really? Yes. And whenever one of those occasions passed where it was either New Year's or a time change, you had to wait until Monday morning when the cable company came into the office for them to change the date and time. <laughs> uh-huh. But, uh huh. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. We are not alone in the balcony, though, tonight. Uh, do you notice the presence mm-hmm. of a special someone? I do, I do. Uh, our fembot pal <laughs> happens to be your hubby, Billy Starsage. Why, hello there, mister. Thank you for joining us tonight. And uh, we are here to uh, put you on the spot with your expertise in this subject. Well, hopefully I'm ready for it. Yes, uh, I'm right. Grab your snacks, and uh, we'll get this show on the road. There and uh, is uh, Madame Gertie in the house. Oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. I wouldn't miss anything with Lee Majors. Hubba, hubba. Yeah, baby. Ooh, baby. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. <clears throat> <laughs> we try well, to be a family show. Maybe not always, but uh, ma'am, uh, if you could be so kind as to get down to the stage for us, we're going to let the folks know what we're discussing tonight. All righty dighty, I'll be right down here. There she goes. Hometown hero Steve has been everything from a test pilot to an astronaut, and has even been to the moon. He's worn many hats, but he ends up in new shoes when a crash landing leaves him indebted to a secret government agency. Steve's life has been saved, but at what cost? Well, let's just say... He ends up working it off. Now, slip into some bell-bottoms or a comfortable tracksuit. We're going back to the 70s. It's time for The Six Million Dollar Man with Lee Majors.
keys. What do you get when you take a dash of the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies and a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Tommy. Alrighty, now some of you may have recognized the theme that was playing behind our senior showgirl there, but uh, I'm here to give you a a little bit of a different take on it. Uh, When the show started in 73, it was a series of TV movies, and uh, well, there's a different approach to the opening theme in the very beginning. What's wrong? I was hoping you could tell me. He's alive. He lost an arm, two legs, and one eye. But he's alive. I'm not sure he'd want to live if he can't be the man he was. What if he could be more than the man he was? We have the technology to rebuild him. I want it done no matter what the cost. Um, Madame Gertie there, is it true that you used to have a thing yeah. for Lee Majors? Just a little. Maybe a lot, okay? Hmm. Anyways, he was handsome. My God, I, I, I fell in love with him when he was in the Big Valley, for heaven's sakes. Ooh, 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 oh. um, anyways, yes. <laughs> Very fond of him. Anyways, <laughs> I'm going back down to eat candy. Bye. <laughs> Throughout the rappers this time. <laughs> yeah. Holy cow. You know, if I had heard this show with that Dusty Springfield uh, 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 opening, I'm tuned in. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, Toppy, um, we, there's a little something that we like to try to do here to put people's minds into play for the time it came out. Um, yeah, we want you um, to... Think back. This is a lo- it's a little disheartening to think how long ago this was. <laughs> but uh, DJ, take us back and tell us what was going on in uh, the year of our Lord, nineteen seventy four, when when the six million dollar man was going on. All righty. So, um, in honor of our best of honor tonight, uh, my hubby Billy, uh, Billy, read the world in nineteen seventy four. Ah, yes. Well, let's see. U.S. history in the year 1974. Daylight savings time began four months early in response to energy crisis oil embargo. The U.S. US District Court Judge George Bolt rules that Native American tribes in Washington state are entitled to half of the legal salmon based on treaties signed by the tribes and the U.S. government. Well, isn't that generous? Well, isn't what that? A, that's nice. Half of them. <laughs> and Stephen King's first novel, Carrie, is published. Wow. Yeah, that's old. The Universal Prize code is scanned for the first time to sell a package of Wrigley's chewing gum at the Marsh supermarket in Troy, Ohio. 
Okay, could someone tell me why it was rolled out in Ohio? <laughs> Not a clue. They always test things out in the heartland. Richard Nixon becomes... Oh, okay. Richard Nixon becomes the first president of the United States to resign from office. Too bad he wasn't oh, the last. Oh, got but... so close with someone else. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right. Also, 70... Mm-hmm. Yes, 1974. Um, we're going to take a look at the. Well, let's take a look at who was born back then. You might be surprised. First of all, Seth Green. He's the. Uh, oh, my God. And he's famous now. The actor, uh, voice actor uh, for Family Guy. Um, he plays the son, Chris Griffin. Jerry O'Connell, um, uh, who plays Quinn on Fox Sliders. And uh, does the voice of Clark Kent, uh, Superman on Justice League, Grace Park. Uh, she is uh, was a boomer when sci-fi remade that their uh, Battlestar Galactica. Allison Hannigan, um, she was in My Stepmother is an Alien and How I Met Your Mother. She liked movies about mothers, I guess. And then there was Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, of course, we know him from Titanic and so many uh, more movies. And uh, he was uh, Oscar-nominated for The Wolf of Wall Street in 2013. So all those folks were born way back then. Okay, well, the $6 million man, the uh, topic for our discussion tonight, it was a TV show back in the days when maybe you didn't have a remote, you certainly didn't have a way to record your shows, so you had to catch them when they are on, and you probably got a paper guide, a TV guide, maybe. So, uh, other things on TV, Mm. when the $6 million man aired... Uh, It uh, premiered as a TV series after a few uh, TV movies in the fall of 74. Now, in its time slot, which was Sundays at 7.30, its competition included on NBC, because Six Million was part of the American broadcast company, ABC. On NBC was The Wonderful World of Disney, up for competing on Sunday nights, and... In uh, later seasons, in 75, Six Million Dollar Man was moved to 8 p.m., which ran opposite CBS's The Sonny and Cher Show. That's about right. So let me tell you guys, you know, uh, for years and years, uh, you know, I I was a Disney boy. And uh, certainly on Sundays at 7.30, it was a total tradition right after the Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom to to watch the wonderful world of Disney. Until, that is, the $6 million man came along. And then I was old enough to say, hmm, bye-bye, Disney. (laughs) I've watched this new thing. So, uh, yeah, that's where it was for me. I was a completely oblivious to the television movies because they would have been airing at a time I would have been in bed. But um, somehow I knew that some weird show was starting. I think my father had seen one, at least one of the TV movies. And he said, you're going to like this son. And, uh, and then I started out watching what they call season two. I'd call it season one, but on NBC.com, they call it season two. 
And that's where I started on the first episode of season two. So that's my origin story for that show. Uh, uh, DJ, what, where did you come in on this? Oh, goodness. Well, I, I mean, I'm sorry. <laughs> Billy, uh, let, me, let me ask Billy first. Beauty before age. When something. did I first discover it? Yeah. Well, I have an older brother who I sometimes forget that I have, but that's a totally different story. <laughs> Every Christmas, my mom had to make sure that things were even. So she made sure that Santa Claus got us both, both the same sets of toys. And if you're watching on YouTube, they are proudly displayed behind DJs. Those are the very ones that I grew up with. And when I was young, I was probably three or four when I really started watching it, but I had the toys immediately when they came out in 75. So I was about two or three playing with them and just starting to get into the series. But my brother watched it first, and then I got into it, mostly with the last couple of series of The Bionic Man and the final episodes of Bionic Woman. And then I watched them in reruns. Ah, uh, okay. Um, how about you, DJ? Well, it's uh, quite an interesting question because I grew up out in the haystack, unlike Hubby, who is in a semi-bigger uh, setting there up in Oslo. We didn't... I don't remember uh, $6 million man airing. Uh, I was, you know, I was basically a little bit more than a twinkle in the eye, and actually, come to find out, until more recently when these um, episodes were finally released on DVD, we can talk about that a little more later, um, apparently Six Million Dollar Man did not hair, air reruns that much in the uh, earlier days to its original broadcast. So I kind of stumbled on it after discovering its... Um, you know, little sister show, Bionic Woman. And that, of course, I discovered through the Sci-Fi Channel when they started airing it in their early days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, what I read was that um, the guy that wrote the novel Cyborg, which is what the whole thing started with, it was a novel in 73 that was very popular. Um, the guy that wrote that, Apparently, Universal just could never come up with an agreement with them, and I understood that that's it. It really didn't go into syndication. Um, maybe the Bionic Woman did, but uh, anyways, that's just what I understand about about Six Million Dollar Man when it wrapped up. Aside from those three movies they did a decade later, I mean, it you, you just never saw it again. So. They must have finally arranged something with this cyborg novel guy to let them get it on sci-fi and, uh, you know, release it on DVD. Maybe his kids just weren't as greedy. Oh, did I say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> they played it on a station on in New York on WPIX at oh. about 3 o'clock every day in the early 80s for the Bionic Woman. They did have the crossover episodes, but I watched that religiously when I came home every day. Ah, uh, gotcha. PXO, that New York station. Oh, we got <laughs> it here in Pickle Hollow, too. And, uh, yeah, uh, great station. 
Uh, it was a great station until they traumatized me by taking it off the air. And one day I came home to watch it, and instead of the Bionic Woman, it was What's Happening. <laughs> that ain't right. <laughs> Billy, that ain't right. <laughs> and they ended it on the crossover episodes with the fembots and it wasn't until about nine years later that i got to see the second part when it aired on sci-fi oh my god that's super ain't right (laughs) oh it traumatized me toppy traumatized i I understand hey before we uh, get going let me just say hi to the chat room uh, because we do have a chat room. We, For those of you who are listening uh, to this as a podcast, we actually do this live um, t- uh, two uh, Fridays out of the month, the first and third. And uh, you could be here, too, uh, when we do it. And uh, here in the, our Discord chat room, um, we've got Aunt Tudor, our uh, good friend Aunt Tudor from Maryland. We've got Janet from Another Planet. Uh, we've got Corone Haven, the ever mysterious, and our good pal who comes by every single time, Tommy Hashbrowns. Thank you for all for joining us. Okay, so uh, continuing the discussion on the $6 million man, 70s action adventure. You know, those TV movies, they, they each had a, a different approach to the story. And, you know, at times they made him sort of out to be um, a 007 of sorts, an American 007, because he, he went to the party with his tux, and little did you know, he was dressed for the action because the tux just came off with a flick of the wrist. <laughs> yeah, can we talk about this just for a second? Um, I uh, This is a very unusual thing, in my opinion, that they had this property, they they bought the license to this novel, they said, hell yeah, this will make some great TV. They tried it out in a TV movie, which is often how networks would try something out and maybe thinking, hmm, if it gets some good ratings, we might just make this into a TV series. But for some reason, they didn't stop with one. It's almost like they thought, did we get that right? I don't know if we got that right, but we have such confidence in this as a TV series. We're going to try it again. So comes another TV movie, really another pilot, and it's quite different. And then they do it all over again for a third time, and it's completely different. Uh, So uh, speculation, Billy, I mean, that seems to me what they were doing they had they they had such confidence in this that they said well damn it we we got some angle on this and we want it to work and we're going to spend the time and money to have three pilots we don't care well it started off more like james bond and and started getting a not campy but it started to go into the superhero genre a little bit more they started mm-hmm. moving away from James Bond. Every once in a while, you would get you know more and more of the spy stuff. But the campy stuff is really what started to sell it, along with a lot of the innuendo that was in it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hence the uh, uh, DJ played that uh, Dusty Springfield <laughs> uh, <laughs> intro, you know, which, you know, they were so obviously going for a 
a James Bond gestalt there. Um, and boy, am I glad they dropped that like a bad habit. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, they, they, they went more, they brought him back down to earth and instead of being the super spy, he, he just became an ex astronaut that was involved in secret mission. And, uh, I think a much for Lee majors, a much, better way to, to present him as kind of a down-to-earth guy. Which is interesting because the last episode of The Bionic Man in 78 ripped off the current James Bond movie. Oh, yeah, The Spy Who Loved Me? Oh. Is, yeah, is that what it was? Billy, are I you... Do be- yeah. And, uh, you know, um, right. if for no other reason, Toppy... Um, people who may not have seen the original TV movies that were done, I would encourage you just simply for the fact that the guy who played the dad in the Christmas story movies, you know, the one about the leg lamp, well, he is basically Oscar Goldman in the original pilot. <laughs> right. The wonderful, the great Darren McGavin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in there and, uh, and then, you know, uh, he bowed out or just maybe he was busy with other things and they couldn't get him back. So they replaced him. And we have a request. And sadly, he wasn't missed. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a request in the chat room to hear some of the sound effects. All right. <laughs> so, uh, continuing there the discussion go. there now, um, hubby, uh, as you said, um, Billy, uh, you know, one of the ways you were introduced to the show was because your mom got the same toys for you and your brother. Now, how, how do you feel about the role of toys? Do you think merchandising plays a big role in a show's popularity, especially if you're trying to get kids to watch? Oh, God, yes. And this was the big time around Star Wars when it was coming out. So towards the end of the 70s, it really geared up. Bionic Man kind of came out in 75, but once Star Wars hit, there was no doubt that they had to pump out as much merchandise as possible. Yeah, in fact, some speculate that uh, that the $6 million man looked tame. Uh, and once people got a load of uh, Star Wars, it was like, oh, that that just took attention away. Because Six Big Dollar Man was about the only sci-fi kind of weirdo, superhero-ish, outlandish kind of TV show going at the time. And it sustained itself for, you know, five years or more. And uh, but, 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 but once Star Wars was there... Um, that was it for the $6 million man. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to note that uh, once $6 million man was no longer part of the ABC lineup, in its time slot on Sundays was Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> there you go. There, That says everything right there. That's right. It did, it did get in there on the same time. Hey, so, Tommy. I gotta yeah. ask you a question. Speaking of Star Wars and the Six Million Dollar Man, do, do you think the Star Wars influence had a negative effect on the show? You know, with episodes like The Lost Island, where you have space aliens and so forth. Well, uh, maybe, but they they had 
um, space aliens come in uh, on on the very first season, I think. it was almost like, well, Steve's an astronaut, and uh, it's going to happen. Um, and I, I think, actually, they were fairly restrained in involving him uh, with with uh, heavy sci-fi elements that were out of this world. Because, I mean, you can imagine, they, they could have really gone bonkers nuts, you know, and had a monster of the week like like lost in space but but uh you know they appeared three uh, three or four times so i th- i thought that showed some restraint but also as we know when once you get involved in in aliens you're going to be spending a lot of money so it might have been a budgetary thing too <laughs> and i don't think any of their aliens i mean you know one alien looked just like sandy duncan which is weird <laughs> but it or, or lurch for that matter or lurch <laughs> <laughs> well you know that lost Bigfoot, ted cassidy Mm, that, right. that Lost Island two-parter there, Toppy, it looked like somebody who used to work in sci-fi special effects came to work drunk one day because you've got some caveman eyebrows and some Vulcan-type ears. <laughs> <laughs> it, it looks like yeah. they lost the makeup kit and went to Faye's drugstore. Yeah. It had... Um, a, a lot of plots for the Six Million Dollar Man was Steve goes undercover here, Steve goes undercover there. Uh, but some of them, you know, got into more sci-fi aspects. Perhaps the biggest one being uh, the first appearance of Bigfoot. <laughs> and uh, this rocked our world as uh, little kids. And uh, that episode... Uh, with Ted Cassidy playing Bigfoot. That's all we could talk about the next day at school because it was Monday, you know, aired on Sunday nights. And boy, we went to school. We said, oh, did you watch that? Did you see the bionic man fight Bigfoot? Oh, my God. We were freaking out over it. Uh, it was a very popular series um, and certainly caught you know, the kids' imaginations. And, you know, even though they um, eventually moved away from the spy angle as much, sometimes it was a matter of whether Steve was undercover or under the covers. Um, Yeah. (laughs) So we are at about halfway through tonight's show. We're just going to stroll on over here to our snack bar where our senior showgirl is going to be serving up all of our favorite treats. Hi, what do you want? Hi. (laughs) And uh, for your listening enjoyment tonight, we're going to be sharing a moment from an interview with Richard Anderson, who played Oscar Goldman on The Six Million Dollar Man and The Bionic Woman in the TV movies that followed. This is an interview with a podcaster called Retro Rewind. Let's give a listen. Then, um, Agent Cole once says, um, they, uh, they want you over Universal. I said, oh, And when you're still under contract with 
anybody then, or those no, days were over? No, okay. no. You see, all of these shows lasted a year. Oh, okay. <laughs> I began to wonder, when is <laughs> when is this going to change? I'd yeah. love to run a little while on these things. Yeah. But you just don't know. You just take what comes. I believed in just working, yeah. working. And then they say, we got a job over there. I remember Guy Steiner said, it's called a $6 million man. Not bad. I said, I'll go. Yeah. You got to start tomorrow. <laughs> really? That quick? Well, they had replaced uh, the actor who was doing it, Darren right. McGavin. Nothing. He's a wonderful actor. Right. But I think there was a chemistry there. And that happens with that of kind course. of stuff. And then he was and in the pilot, right? He was in the pilot. And yeah. they, did, they did, you know, a couple of two-hour movies. And this was the third two-hour movie they were going to do. Yeah. So I didn't get any sleep the night before. I like to learn everything about a script before I go in. Yeah. So I was up all night with it. Boy. So I put on these dark glasses, and I had a scene with him, and he was in the hospital. Right. And uh, I played that out, you know, with the glasses on. <laughs> and then the reason I know that is because a lot of people saw me in the glasses a lot because uh, it was a nice prop. And, you know, sure. I'm going to have to tell... Uh, Majors says, Aston, you've got to do this. You've yeah. got to take the glasses off. You've got to right. do this. We've helped you. Yeah. You've got to help us. We're having a tough time right now. So I wore the glasses. The next day, uh, the producer came over. He says, uh, ABC looked at you, and they said, this guy is perfect. <laughs> I was just tired and, <laughs> and put the glasses on, try to look as good as I could. Yeah. So that's where it started, the $6 million man. And um, we finished the two-hour movie, and, they, and uh, Glenn Larson came over and said, we're going to do a series on Friday night. And then he left the show, right. and they brought in um, someone else in place. Mm -hmm. uh, Harv Bennett was Harv, his name. Right. And we went through the roof. It was incredible. Yeah. And then at the end, I said it. I said, why don't we get a girl on this show, for God's sake? You know, it's not an all-male affair here. Yeah. So they um, they came up with it. Everybody read. And, and uh, Mike Silverman at the ABC said, this is the one I want. And her name was Lindsay Wagner. She'd just been dropped by Universal. She'd been there about a year, and they dropped her. <laughs> but she, she did some, like, some Rockford files before that. That's right, yeah. yeah, but they dropped her. And then she came in, and, and uh, I, did, I remember I did the first scene with her out on location, and I, I just listened to her voice and the way she said it, and she had a sort of a, a, sort of a lilt in her voice and a, and a very sort of a charm, and she had a little fun with it. Yeah. I said, this is going to be something. Yeah. So she like uh, the girl next door, kind of. Yeah. You know. And the first scene was in Ohio, actually, and she had to play tennis. And she says, "Richard, I don't play tennis in my life. Well, I play tennis in my life." So I said, "The main thing look like you can do it." So we just, you know, I showed her how to do it. Just bang that ball, and that's all she had to do. Yeah. Play tennis. She never forgot it. We talk about it often. I just come <laughs> back from Chicago, and she still brings the subject up about how <laughs> how she couldn't. And we are back. Let me throw you a pass over there, Toppy. No! Got it. Apparently. <laughs> uh, so, let's let's talk about the bionic woman. Uh, she was a uh, first a two-parter. Oh, by the way, the Six Million Dollar Man loved their two-parters. They did a lot of them. And because it was an action-adventure series, you know, it just made it all seem bigger. And those cliffhangers were so great. And uh, all us kids ate up 
uh, any time they did a two-parter, and they did a lot of them. One of them was the Bionic Woman, and she turns out she was an old flame and came back into uh, Steve Austin's life, <clears throat> played by Lindsay Wagner, and uh, her, her her name was Jamie Summers, and uh, they get engaged. She has an accident, becomes a bionic because I'm uh, they they want to save her, you know, and uh, Lee Majors, uh, uh, Steve Austin has mixed feelings about it, but in the end agrees, yeah, let's do it. But uh, and then uh, tragically, uh, she dies at the end of the two-parter, and you know, it was like you know, it was like whoa, whoa, it was heavy for us kids. Let me tell you. <laughs> um, and then. Uh, Gee, someone said, why did we kill her? Let's bring her back. <laughs> and turns out, oh, oh, goodness, no, she didn't die. Uh, but anyway, so that was the beginning of the Bionic Woman, who went on to be in her own show, um, the Bionic Woman. And, you know, in part of the interview with Richard Anderson that uh, you should be able to find if you look for a retro rewind online, uh, he actually mentions that, you know, that um, when Lindsay Wagner came on to the $6 million man, she was uh, just losing her contract. So, of course, she was just in a guest appearance for $6 million man. And who would have known it would have been so wildly popular that she'd get her own show out of the deal? I have a little theory. Uh, um, Billy, see what you think about this. Uh, also guest starring in at least one early episode of the six million dollar man was uh an actress named sarah fawcett <laughs> um who shined and uh you know happened to be married to lee majors um in fact for a while she sported the name sarah fawcett majors <clears throat> And she had that certain something. She became a poster girl. Uh, and eventually she was cast in Charlie's Angels. But I, I, if, if things had worked just slightly differently, I could see her instead landing the part of the bionic woman and then going on to do that, you know, until she said, I'm too good for this and quit. <laughs> um, so what do you what do you think about that? Was that just far fetched, Billy, or do you think that she was she really maybe was considered, uh, but went to you know went to Charlie's Angels and they never got a chance? Well, they both aired in '76, I do believe. Mm -hmm. So if you know you're writing the coattails of. Steve Austin. Do you really want to ride the coattails and be a sequel? I think she wanted her own vehicle to drive for her stardom versus, you know, being a sequel TV show. Mm, if, good point. If, if you had to pick a show, do you want to do a spinoff or do you want your own major vehicle? Good point. <clears throat> By the way, one of the most pathetic slash awesome moments in Emmy history. 
was when Farrah Fawcett went up to accept an Emmy that she got for Charlie's Angels. I mean, can you believe that? And mm-hmm. how do you win an Emmy on Charlie's Angels? But anyways, <laughs> tight by clothes the way, and bell bottoms. Yeah. The, by the way, Lee Majors never won an Emmy for the Six Million Dollar Man, which is as it should be. But a chair, Farrah Fawcett wins an Emmy <laughs> for. The Charlie's age. She goes up on stage. She's clutching the statue. Oh my God! Oh, thank you. <laughs> and then out in the wings appears Lee Majors, who comes on on stage to surprise his wife. <laughs> oh my God! She's oh, you're here, and the audience <laughs> cheers, and oh, everyone is just they're just oh my God! It's just everyone loved it. One of the most awesome slash disgusting Emmy moments. I mean, <laughs> it was so, so contrived. I mean, basically, that was a look who I'm boinking moment. <laughs> Mostly. <laughs> Anyways, I, th- I think uh, the Emmys were hosted on ABC, which, of course, hosted both shows at one time. Mm-hmm. Although the Bionic Woman did switch to NBC, which is a strange thing in and of itself. At any rate, uh, clearly they thought, oh. Oh, here we go. Right. Oh, yeah. Lee, Lee Majors has to come out on stage when Fair gets her in the Lee. Well, you know, she was, he was her plus one, I guess. Um, but, uh, you know, hubby, uh, Billy, the, uh, you know, in the next step in this uh, discussion here, who's going to ask you now, besides the main characters, because, of course, if you're watching The Six Million Dollar Man, I mean, you know, there's a good chance that you like the Steve Austin character. And that's actually part of the appeal of the show is in that era, you know, we're we're in the Cold War and we're getting out of Vietnam. So, of course, who doesn't love a story of an American hero? Now, besides that main character, do you have any favorite supporting characters? Who Who did you like in the background? It would have to be Rudy Wells. Which is a very interesting character because in the pilot, he's a doctor who kind of wants to do this thing called bionics. And, you know, that's how we started. But then as the show went on, Rudy basically knows everything about everything. And every week it was, what crap was he making next? So, you know, it was always interesting to see the gadgets and to see what he was making or involved. Involved in in the week, mm-hmm. yeah. Aside from <clears throat> aside from uh, Doctor Rudy Wells and Richard Anderson's character, that was about it for the supporting cast. Um, so, but they 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 got Rudy Wells in there quite often. Uh, he was in the credits for at least part of. Uh, part of the time, not not at first, but they actually did give him a credit uh, later on. And I think they used him more in The Bionic Woman, don't you think, Billy? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and the actor himself, Martin Brooks, he, um, he, he, he not really got typecast, but even before he was on The Six Million Dollar Man, he was playing parts that were, you know, professionals and, and doctors. He actually had a handful of roles on a series called the doctors in the decade just before the bionic or the six million dollar man yeah they had actually three uh rudy wells um the first one was martin 
bass basil 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 bomb now uh anyway <laughs> famous character actor uh uh and i think he he portrayed the doctor or the scientist originally. I'm not sure if he was called Rudy Wells, but then they had another actor. And then finally the last actor came in and uh, did Rudy Wells for the remainder. Uh, and it's probably, he's probably the Rudy Wells. Everyone remembers. Mm-hmm. I, I got to interject here because there was another character that reoccurred on several episodes, mm. the secretaries. Uh-huh. One of my favorite is Peggy Callahan. <laughs> Do you remember her? She was in the Kill Oscar um, Fembot episode. She was the shorter one with the blonde hair. I do. I think I do remember her. She kind of gets. Is she, um, you know, the, she's soft spoken, petite, and she's often mistaken for people like Sandy Duncan. Yeah. Yeah, if she's who I'm thinking of, um, yeah, I do remember. How uh, like how many episodes do you recall that she was in? In the Six Million Dollar Man, she was uh, Steve Austin fugitive. I think she was in the Winning Smile. Um, she was in the infamous crossover episodes with the Fembot Part Two, Kill Oscar, and Task Force. And she always played the same character. Yes, the secretary. Oh, or the okay. fembot version of herself. Yeah, now I know I know who you're talking about. I can picture. Jennifer yeah, Darling was her name. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, what um, uh, What are the shows that just were breakout hits? Uh, certainly the appearance of Big Foot, especially the first time. Oh, they, they would bring him back. Uh, um, I can think of uh, a couple of other huge episodes. Do you remember the Seven Million Dollar Man? <laughs> oh. oh yes, Barney, not Miller, Hiller. <laughs> Barney Hiller. Mm-hmm. He he was an extra million because both of his arms were bionic. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Toppy, so, the, the, yeah, one, uh, the one thing that stood had, out to me about that episode was the, and I, I couldn't place it at first. I had to listen to the guy's voice a few times before I recognized it because his face didn't actually quite match. The actor who played Barney Hiller, the $7 million man, would later on in the late 80s be in the Ghostbusters sequel, and he plays a judge who gets so mad that he brings some ghosts to life in his courtroom. Oh, well, totally don't remember that, but I certainly remember him in the 70s being on every goddamn TV show in existence. He was just one of those working actors that was in everything. Hmm. So, Billy, if you had to pick just one episode of the series, Six Million Dollar Man, what one would you introduce to somebody who maybe hasn't seen the show before? Well, I wouldn't go too campy, and I wouldn't go too spy intrigue. I would probably do um, Day of the Robot. All right. Now, was that was the first robot with John Saxon? Correct. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just watched that today. All right, let's let's get into this just a little bit. 
because that episode introduced a couple of things in a major way. It was very early on. I think it was only episode five of the what I call the first season, but what everyone else calls the second season. It was very early on, and they hadn't quite invented or thought of some of the sound effects that we all know. Why don't you play a couple of them again, DJ? Okay, here we go. And uh, Steve, is uh, he's got his eye on you. Yeah, and then uh, of course when we when we knew he was being bionic, that he was using his bionic strength, we heard what. <laughs> so those things hadn't been thought of right away, but on ep- on that episode, Day of the Robot, guess who made some of those noises? The robot did not. Not the $6 million man, but the robot did. But I think the producers and everyone said, hey, look at that. Doesn't that make it look cool? And they said, all right, well, guess what? The $6 million man is now going to go every time he jumps or whatever. Um, So that that was a big development. But also, um, it was... The first time they extensively use slow motion. Can we talk about the slow motion? <laughs> Billy, the slow motion. Oh, who who doesn't love the slow motion? I mean, you could you could see where they were still steering the ship into unknown waters and they were still trying things out. Like the original sound effect when Steve is going all bionic. Do you remember that, Toppy? Um, I think we heard it every week in the theme song, like that. Uh, no, that the no? very first one was a heart beep sound. That's right. That's Which right. is kind of dumb because they explained that his blood didn't need to pump because he only had one arm and that was it. So why would he get all worked up and you'd hear his heart going really fast if he was only really pumping blood for one arm, it just never made sense to me. I'm glad they dropped it. <laughs> I am too. Um, it, it was certainly, it became the tradition and, and just the way they portrayed those sound effects, the and the, and it just, it, 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 you know, they did the slow motion. Every, every, anytime Steve did something bionic, they did it in slow motion, especially the endless goddamn running mm-hmm. on these two shows, the bionic woman and the six. Run. I'm running fast, but I'm in slow motion. And I'm running, and I'm running, and I'm running, and, I'm, and we're going to spend. A lot of time watching me run in slow motion. <laughs> but I'm really going fast. No, they they, they, they they did try to make it as realistic as possible in the beginning. And then it just kind of went all bat crazy. But did you ever notice in the first few episodes when he would sweat, mm-hmm. only his non-bionic arm would sweat? God His, damn it, Billy. I noticed that for the first time in my recent rewatch this last week. I said, are they doing what I think I'm doing? That was really smart. It, it was very believable in the first season, even with the robot. The robot was a robot and kind of stupid. It was pre-programmed. So he kept screwing up. And as I said the DJ, the fembots are a completely different type of animal. They just go into complete... You know, not even plausible territory. 
where the mm-hmm. robot kept making mistakes. His foot broke while he was driving. You know, yeah. he kept having issues. So mm-hmm. I like that it's plausible to some degree. I agree. Um, uh, certainly, I think that uh, Day of the Robot was the first, like, epic, like, holy Jesus, the stakes are high. And here's Steve facing off against someone as powerful as he was. And, and he seemed to be losing. Um, it, it also started the, oh my gosh, this show is getting a bit too violent now that kids are getting into it. And they're mimicking. Mm. Especially with how they did away with the robot. Do you remember mm. how they did away with it? I certainly do. Uh, talk about they impact. Im- they impaled it on camera with a steel eye beam. Yeah. He ain't coming back. Yeah. Yeah, I guess apparently they're either it's either folklore, folklore or real, but apparently some kids seriously injured themselves. Uh, in some cases, deliberately hoping they'd, they'd get replaced with bionic parts. Do you think that's true? Oh. They did have a few um, letters that um, Lee Majors had to send out, I do believe. But the, mm-hmm. the show changed in tone. I mean, even in Day of the Robot, Steve threw a car on a guy. There was no way he was alive at the end of it. So Good point, good point. After that episode, they they changed the tone wildly. Didn't really kill anyone anymore. But if you talk to people that occasionally watch the show, you say that Steve killed someone, and they're like, "He didn't kill anyone." Yeah, he did. He he killed a few people in the first few episodes. No, it didn't. yeah, and I think also in the three in the three pilot movies, there may have been a few. A few deaths. And, and, you know, we were going through a transition in television, you know, while we were leaving the 60s, we're in the 70s, and we're almost in the 80s by the time the show was over. But, uh, you know, an an important distinction to make, um, you know, it's all about the mentality of who's running the show, of course. But uh, when it came to the spinoff, Bionic Woman... Um, Richard Anderson actually mentioned in some interviews that Lindsay Wagner took an active role in the script of her show. In fact, if you watch it, um, just like a lot of the superhero programs, like uh, in, in some episodes of Wonder Woman, they try to solve situations without violence, with wit. And so that's why you would see uh, Jamie doing things where she had to think about it. And of course she was also a teacher in her show, but <laughs> yeah, um, it's true. It, it just ha- coincided at about that time of, of actually that robot episode that parents were writing into TV stations saying not just about the $6 million, but about a great many programming uh, that that was just violent uh, Saturday morning cartoons, and it it was really quite uh, a public outcry, and there were Senate hearings and blah blah blah, and and so uh, networks were really feeling the pressure to tone down the violence, which is why um, basically from then then henceforth the six million dollar man would throw people. And they would fall into an empty cardboard box. <laughs> and that's why 
marks for the rest of the series. He would never hit anyone. And uh, actually that, that idea, that way of like showing strength, but never hurting anyone went, went right up to the incredible Hulk who never hit anybody. He would just throw people and they would always land on a bunch of empty cardboard boxes. We'll, we'll ignore the scene where he puts arm off. Thank you. Though. Well, it was a robot. He wasn't real. <laughs> you know. So as we uh, start to wind things down here, Billy, I need to ask you, we, just talked about the episode that would be the best to introduce someone new to, but what do you think, in your opinion, would be the one episode they should avoid? What was the worst episode of the run? As much as I love the show, there is one episode I refuse and have never seen. The second episode of The Lost Island. (laughs) DJ and I tried to watch that darn thing, and the minute that crazy drugstore makeup came up, I started looking at my laptop. I could not even get into the episode. I, I just hate that episode. It, it felt like a low, it felt like a low budget Gilligan's Island. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Okay, I'll just say mine. Uh, They did a Christmas episode, eh, probably in season four, Uh, may have been season five, and uh, it was a takeoff on Scrooge, and uh, it was it was horrible. It was just oh god. But in general, in general, folks, people who are going to want to see the $6 million man today are people like me who have a nostalgic fondness for it. I would never stand here or sit as the case may be and say it was a great television show. It was bubble gum and popcorn and great for kids. And I'll forever love it. Like Billy said, but if you try to watch it today, well, <laughs> well, you know, give it a try, but I don't know. DJ Baby, you're the best to answer that. Do they hold up? <laughs> well, you know, some of them do, but, uh, you know, when they, they have special episodes where they focus a little too much on one subject, you kind of feel that they're dated. Yeah. I mean, I on purpose had us watch the final episode of The Six Million Dollar Man. Now, unlike The Bionic Woman, they didn't know that the show was being canceled when they produced that last episode. So it kind of goes off into the sunset with really no closure. And it's a it's a good old story behind the Iron Curtain. You know, um, Steve Austin has to conspire with the enemy, a, a Russian woman whose father was killed by him unbeknownst to her. And, well... You know, it's one of those situations where Steve ends up being not so much undercover as he is under the covers. <laughs> yeah, that's right. In fact, there was one little ditty that, that I read that, that the $6 million man ended with a cliffhanger they didn't resolve until the three TV movies came back. Only Any if you're including, only if you're including if if he got to bed with the Soviet check. That's the only cliffhanger. <laughs> there really okay. is. That's uh, why. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I dare say I like the Bionic Woman because it evolved. It evolved with her and with her saying, 
I can't do this anymore in the end. That's mm-hmm. one of the things that always bugged me about the Bionic Man. Uh, unless you looked at his hairstyle and the mustache, you, you, they could be from any season. With the Bionic Woman, they evolved her storyline and her relationships with other characters. Mm-hmm. And I have to go back to that Christmas episode, Toppy, because if there yeah. was ever a blatant commercial in a TV show, you sell toys at Christmas, right? Uh-huh. Do you, when was the last time you watched that episode? Oh, it's been years. Years. <laughs> He's in a toy store. I believe it's this episode. He's in a toy store. And guess what's behind the counter? <laughs> a huge display or a small display of $6 million man action figures. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> On camera. <laughs> well, look... Uh, because the, the the chat room seems to be most interested in these toys uh, the, of the day, um, there is, uh, Tommy Ashburn's posted a photo of Big Jim. Hi, Big Jim. Hi. <laughs> and uh, there were others. Uh, these uh, the, the Six Million Dollar Man doll was uh, the G.I. Joe size from Days of Yore before they got miniaturized. Um, you know, in the 80s. So these were like, what? I don't know, 11 inches tall? No, they were about 12, 13. Bigfoot oh, wow. is huge. If you look at DJ, don't touch them. But on the YouTube video, <laughs> put your hand near near one of them. You can see that they're much bigger. Okay, they are, yeah. This is my um, phone. Would you say, I mean, and my phone next to one of the toys. Uh-huh. So, uh, Billy, do you mean that they're bigger than G.I. Joe was? Yes, I do believe oh. so. Oh, okay. Uh, let me... Just quickly, there was another toy that apparently someone invented to cash in on the $6 million man. Only it wasn't. And Bullet, man. Guy, Bullet Man. Bullet <laughs> Man. Uh, well, Bullet Man was one of them, but there was another guy... Who only had one bionic leg, right? Because they had to be different. They couldn't make give them two. So he had one bionic arm, one bionic leg, and goodness knows what else. And they showed him like running fast on a treadmill. Uh, and I just even I was pretty young, but even I thought to myself, okay, how does this guy run with just one bionic leg? <laughs> <laughs> Oh he runs God. in circles. Oh. He runs in circles. That was actually, do you know the name of that toy? I actually I have it. Do you? What? I can't remember the name, but Bullet Man was like one of three of them. There were three from the Mike company. Powers. Oh, he my God. G.I. Joe's desperate attempt to cash in. And I had a hard choice back in the day. I could either buy the Bionic Man limb set and backpack radio or Mike Powers. And he was on a square blister card. I can remember the aisle in Nam Brothers to this day. And I passed up my one and only chance to get a 12-inch G.I. Joe for the first time in history because I wanted Steve Austin's other arms. (laughs) and i had to pay 60 bucks to get a hold of this action figure which after i bought it got crushed and gotten destroyed in a move no 
but I still have the Bionic Man toys, so it worked out. And you, you gentlemen are both missing uh, quite the conversation in the chat room. As I peer over the balcony here, Aunt Tudor, a friend of the show, has admitted that he had all of those toys from the 70s and that his mother should have known a little bit more about him then. <laughs> Seriously, I was missing the chest hair action figure. It needed more chest hair. I do have with the recovery set with the arms I just mentioned. There was a leg set that came with Steve's infamous white shorts, and I own those. Oh, oh my lord! Well, uh, listen, Aunt Tudor, I'll tell you, I didn't have. Um, the six million dollar man dollar or any of them, but I did have G.I. Joe's best friend Ben, <laughs> which is a true thing. But listen, uh, those clothes didn't stay on him long, and uh, I don't even know what happened to the clothes. The clothes came off, and I thought he was magnificent naked, and I played with him without clothes on. <laughs> I did, I did. Anyways, perhaps. We should move on. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, G.I. Joe's best friend. <laughs> so this is a part of the show that we call our snack tray. As we're uh, walking out here toward the lobby, we want to, of course, thank Hubby Billy for joining us tonight. Thank you, Billy. And, well, uh, thank you for having me. You can occasionally hear him on that other show I do, Surely You Jest. And, uh, yeah. Don't call me sh- Surely. Exactly. So we're, we'll let Hubby weigh in on this as well. Um, so these are other things you might enjoy if you liked buy our $6 million man. I'll go first. Now, of course, I didn't get to see $6 million man in its initial run. And as I said earlier in the show, I stumbled across it vis-a-vis its... Uh, child spinoff there, The Bionic Woman. Now, uh, I grew up in the 80s, and, um, well, kind of in that same vein, it was sort of a tribute, but more comedy. There was a cartoon, an animated series in the 80s, called Inspector Gadget. Now, I can't be for sure, but I think Don Adams might have done the voice on that. And uh, basically, it was uh, a police officer that had all sorts of uh, modifications to his body and his car. And uh, he took care of his uh, his niece. So, uh, Inspector Gadget. And I think you can even watch it on Netflix. There, there may be some newer episodes of that. Mm-hmm. I think that got quite uh, quite well known. Um, even I know about because that would have been a time that I, you know, just I would I wouldn't have been watching cartoons at the time. But even I know about Inspector Gadget, and I think it right. It was either an actor that sa- that made himself sound like Don Adams, or it I was believe it Don was. And, yeah. and we won't talk about Matthew Broderick playing it. <laughs> oh, good God. They made a movie of it, didn't they? Yeah. A few. But, but well, appear- Oh, speaking of which, mm-hmm. uh, uh, speaking of which, uh, apparently there, there's been uh, projects going uh, for quite some time for a $6 million man movie that just have never, I mean, right up to this day, uh, there's treatments of it, and, and somebody, you know, the script gets passed around and rewritten, and it's alive, and then it's not alive, and then it's suddenly, you know, so it's still out there. 
Um, and, uh, you know, who knows with the popularity of superhero movies, it might actually get made. Good Lord. It's yeah. the epitome of development. Hell, it's been bounced around so much by the time Mark Wahlberg finally makes it. He'll be in a wheelchair. That's right. I did hear he was uh, at least asked or expressed interest. I'm not sure. Oh, there's so many more things. Um, Gee, I I could talk forever about this uh, darn show, but... We didn't even get into the dog. (laughs) There was a bionic dog. There was a bionic boy, two bionic boys, and a a freaking bionic... That was on uh, the, the bionic woman, right? She had the dog. She did. Yeah. Lee, Steve didn't want it, apparently. Yeah. Lee Ma- <laughs> In one of Lee Major's Bill Shatner style interviews, he basically said she can have the dog. Um, but yeah. Um, oh, and let's not forget no. that when they did TV movies after Bionic Woman was off of the air, um, they actually starred a young and up and coming Sandra Bullock as the new Bionic Girl. Yeah, yeah. Um, And sadly, the dog was probably recycled by the time they got to the movies. (laughs) (laughs) I I remember the uh, movies and, uh, you know, I was certainly there watching them because, you know, if you, you just couldn't. I mean, you just couldn't. It was like 10 years later and you had to see these things. Mm-hmm. And I remember uh, I remember Sandra Bullock and I remember Vince Van Patten as the bionic boy. And uh, they, uh, they were actually, um, could have been and were pilot movies for relaunching the whole series with these new actors. But it just never happened. Mm-hmm. Um at any rate, uh, uh, to to get back to the end here, um, and what I'd recommend, DJ said he, he recommended Inspector Gadget. So I'm going to go ahead and, and just recommend The Incredible Hulk that followed The Six Million Dollar Man in the late 70s and even had one of the same producers, Kenneth Johnson, uh, became involved in The Six Million Dollar Man at some point uh uh, not not from the very beginning, but he got in there and he he did a lot for the show, and then Kenneth Johnson went on to uh, uh, to create the Incredible Hulk, uh, and so that's uh, that's what I'd recommend. Um, it, it was later in time, a little better uh, production, um, and the same kind of thing. A, a, a strong guy throws people around. <laughs> that was it. Uh, so that's my recommendation. Okay. And Billy, do you have a, a bone to pitch to our listeners and what else they might enjoy? Campy 1970s action TV would have to be Wonder Woman. <gasps> oh, my God. Of course. Mm-hmm. Oh, 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 oh. The jumping and leaping. Uh, yeah, but jumping, once- leaping, paper walls, and cardboard steel bars. How can you miss them? There you go. But once they figured out on um, the uh, $6 million man that they could make him leap, 
and they and they figured out, oh, if we just reverse this fall, we could make him leap up high. Anyways, it was there was never ending jumping, never ending jumping in the Six Million Dollar Man and the Bionic Woman, and uh, and of course, uh, interestingly enough. Uh, on our bionic shows, it was, of course, slow motion. But Wonder Woman jumped in regular speed. So thank you, Wonder Woman, for jumping in regular speed, not slowed down. I don't think they could show her jumping in slow-mo with those little tight shorts of hers. Oh, uh, perhaps. Point. <laughs> perhaps that would Well, uh, Hubby, if you'll do me a favor, um, here at the Marionette, we are an old venue for many a splendored thing, including vaudeville, and we once had a magician. Could you reach up there on that shelf for me and grab that bag of coins? Sure, will do. Okay, we're going to figure out what's coming up next. Oh, right. Oh, I, I can't wait. Okay, hand me that capsule, Toppy. You know. Okay. Now, uh, our next show will be Friday, April 2nd. So that's going to be the first Friday of the next month here. Same place, same time, 9 p.m. Eastern. Okay, so this is going to be an early 2000s comedy fantasy with a little bit of horror mixed in. It's going to be brought to you by the director of the Phantasm movies, that scary ball that's got a blade. And it stars Mr. Bruce Campbell of many an action show. It's uh, Elvis Presley and JFK. They're in a nursing home where nothing happens. Until an Egyptian mummy comes and sucks the life out of folks through their back doors. Oh, and they decide to fight back. 2002's Bubba Hotep. Next time on Matinee Minutia. Oh. Toppy, before we say goodnight, uh, let us know who was in the chat room with us. We are so thankful for our lovely chat room uh, folks that come back again and again. We've got V Money seven seven zero seven, and we've got Janet, uh, Lady Janet. We have uh, uh, the ever mysterious Cronehaven. I, I know she's listening there. We have uh, Aunt Tudor, and we have our buddy pal uh, Tommy. Ash Browns, so thank you all for being here. Okay, well, in the spirit of old-time radio, how did that uh, older couple say goodnight? Uh, I think it was sort of like this. Goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live the first and third Friday of each month. Go to univazpods.net, click the tower for audio, enter Discord for chat you can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts tweet us on twitter at matinee minutia join our facebook group visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com have an idea for a future show or just want to message us email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com oliver 
This has been an Alibug production. Chubb's gone wild with Matt and Tom. Speak up. The Smellcast by Tommy Smelly. Be heard. Tastes like burning with Tim and James. Unique voices in podcasting. The Shy Life Podcast with me, Paul the Shy Yeti. Univazpods.net.